Nika and I are here with Dr. Bronco at Jeff Design. Uh, we're getting a tour of the vault. Yeah, so the, uh, we are literally in a vault of the Second Federal Reserve Building of Philadelphia, and we ha have been working in this space since uh, last spring, and so we use it as our health design lab. So uh, in our program that we run, we are helping students use their creativity and applying that to healthcare challenges, and uh, we felt very strongly that we needed a creative space to be able to do that. So our space... Uh, as we're walking around here, it has a lot of prototyping materials, everything ranging from uh, desktop 3D printers uh, to we have an AR uh, augmented reality setup. Uh, we have uh, hardware tools where you can actually solder electronic devices. Uh, we have a lot of uh, tables. Everything's on wheels that we could shift around easily so that enables uh, students to work in teams we have a lot of whiteboards and stickies um, that uh, our students can use to brainstorm and ideate and put their projects on there. So uh, a lot of our inspiration for this lab that we have uh, came from our trips that we made to other uh, creative spaces across the country, uh, ranging from going to the offices of IDEO in Palo Alto to Stanford Design School uh, to Jose Gomez's uh, Jose Gomez Marquez is his lab in, um, at MIT, Little Devices. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to those spaces and seeing how creative they were uh, inspired us to make a space here for medical students so they can uh, ideate, prototype, and work in teams. Yeah, sounds great. And so there's a profile in the Jeff Design Program on Doctors Who Create back in May 2015. Um, so this is all... New since then? This is this is all new <laughs> since then. We we uh, in kind of typical design thinking um, fashion, you know, we are uh, we're very eager to just go ahead and just start doing it. We have a bias towards action, and so we start off without a space, and we uh, had to meet in other people's spaces and other people's uh, design studios, ranging from like architecture firms to design studios and random spots in the uh, university and hospital. And, and so, and now it's finally great to have a space of our own that uh, students can come and that we can uh, work on different projects that we have and we can also run our programs out, out of here. Are there any plan changes? How do you think the space will evolve going forward? Uh, I, I look at it as a very organic space, so really depending upon the needs of our of our students and what programs that we run. So uh, that's why almost everything that you see here or everything that we have is on wheels. So we could just move our tables around, our whiteboards on the wheels, so we can move it around. So really depending upon the needs that we have for the different projects and programs that we want, uh, that will dictate what this space will look at. Because a lot of space is very static, right? You go in and it's a there's a uh, there's a uh, LCD projector. There are chairs and stadium seating, and that does not allow that ability to flex in that space. Uh, so we're really inspired by going to the D School at Stanford, and their space is always changing. It's a very organic living space. So we wanted to uh, do the same in our kind of small way here in, in Philadelphia. Great. What sort of projects are students working on right now? Are there any examples of that? Yeah, we could, we could go here. Mm -hmm. uh, so last semester, 
uh, we did a class called Design for Disability. Uh, so we had second year medical students learn how to use desktop uh, 3D printing. And, and part of that class was working with uh, an end user who um, needed, uh, uh, needed help to get back to health. Uh, so we work with a teenager named Larique, who um, was unfortunately a victim of gun violence last year. And so he's paralyzed, wheelchair bound, limited mobility, really could only move his uh, left, left arm. But Larique is, um, he is a, he's just a passionate guy and he really wants to get back to school. He wants to uh, learn how to um, gain function so he, he could write. Um, and so we interviewed Larique and wanted to co-design with him. So, um, so uh, Larique, uh, because he wants to write to get back to school, um, he, we uh, 3D printed um, this uh, adaptive device where it's, uh, it's a, a block that we 3D printed with a Velcro strap around it and with a movable um, these uh, wheels on, on the bottom that allows Larique to put it under his forearm and gives him stability around his elbow joint so he could actually um, be able to uh, facilitate his, his actual riding. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's an initial prototype. And, um, and so we have uh, some examples of that uh, here. Uh, when we initially started the class, uh, we worked with the Enable Foundation. And so they make uh, upper limb um, um, prosthetic adaptive devices uh, for kids with uh, deformities of their hands. And so they, they have these um, uh, hands that they have the um, CAD design devices right on their website. So you can just download it. It's open source. And so we thought that would be a great introduction to desktop 3D printing. And instead of just creating um, like kind of widgets, but really creating something that would actually help um, an, an end user, uh, a, a real person. So I, these are created for a, a young boy uh, who lives outside of the country. And so we're actually going to uh, finalize these and ship them out uh, to him um, in the new year. Um, I'm a little curious. I, I'm seeing not only creativity and innovation, but a lot of inventions. And I'm wondering what your future, um, what you think the role of the physician will look like in the future. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm seeing not only um, doctors practicing medicine, but seeing a problem and developing solutions and designing structures and implementing them. So it's more than leadership that's going on. It sounds like there's problem solving, there's uh, um, you know, taking accountability, taking action. Mm -hmm. um, so if you could just speak a little bit about what you think. Yeah, so a, a lot of what we're doing is, is, not, uh, is not that new, but we, a lot of it is we're going back to this history of of doctors inventing and making and tinkering and prototyping. Um, at, at our med school, because we're one of the oldest med schools in the country, we have a long history of that. You know, the heart-lung bypass machine was created uh, created here. And that was actually a partnership between Jefferson and IBM uh, way back in the day, I believe in the 1950s. 
Um, I had a chance to visit uh, Dr. Bernard Laun up in Boston, and he's a cardiologist. Uh, he's 95 years, years old. He's been practicing for, he practiced medicine for about 50 years. So he told me the story about how he invented um, uh, DC cardioversion because he was inspired by one of his patients who had chronic uh, ventricular tachycardia. He would come into the ER back, I believe this was in the early 1950s, and uh, a lot of time uh, Dr. Lown gave him medications that would stop the ventricular tachycardia, but um, one in one particular time it didn't work, and he heard about uh, someone who used uh, AC cardioversion for ventricular fibrillation. He said, well, why not apply this to this person with ventricular tachycardia at work? And that inspired him to develop this device, and it, it, it led to an invention that has saved you know hundreds of thousands of people. But to me, that is a powerful story because the need of one patient inspired an invention, a new medical device that has saved hundreds of thousands of lives. So we have a great opportunity as physicians because we work with our end users, our patients, all the time. And their stories, their, their problems uh, can inspire us to make uh, new types of medical devices and products uh, for them, but they can also lead to, uh, as a result, making a huge impact on tens of thousands of lives. And so, you know, right now in medical school, there's not a lot of opportunity to do that when we think of, like, new types of uh, innovation and devices and products. We think that's something the med tech industry does, and we don't really do, and so they're the ones innovating. But, you know, a lot of this uh, information, uh, you know, a lot of this inspiration, I think, comes from our patients, and we have access uh, to our our patients. Uh, And what we try to do is bring that uh, inspiration from an idea on a whiteboard to actual physical prototype. And so having uh, a lab like this enables our students to be able to do that. Your students, what sort of backgrounds do they have in terms of the technical side or in design? and How does that play out in in the program? uh, It comes from a very Mm -hmm. broad range. We purposely don't just select uh, students who are like engineers and designers, but we want a a nice mix of people. I mean, I am not an engineer or designer. I, I studied classical studies in in college and have a background in public policy. Uh, but uh, because we creativity is not something that you're just like born with, and so there's some people are creative and some people aren't. Right? We we think creativity can be taught and fostered. It's 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 more of a skill. And so we didn't want to uh, have people scared off where they say, well, I, don't, I, can't, I can't design new devices or redesign health services because I don't have that background. Uh, so we have a mix of uh, people who are like artists, people who are uh, engineers, people who are just regular like pre-med biology majors um, because we think that we can teach this to anyone. So for other schools hoping to start similar programs, what would your advice be? Or going through this process of instituting it here, what have you learned about about that? 
starting small and, and starting and making sure that students are part of the process, uh, that it is not a top-down driven approach. But uh, to start off with, I think at any medical school, you're going to find students who want this. And it's really getting those like-minded students together and just start doing it. It may start something as small as, hey, we're just going to meet once a month and talk about this, and or we're going to try to imp- implement this in a very small way, but not to... Uh, not to get uh, daunted by thinking, oh, I got to start this whole program, uh, but just by even just by meeting together. So I have a colleague of mine, Matt Trowbridge from University of Virginia, and we met at Stanford. And so we we just started talking about this and said, hey, how do I do this? Well, I was like, well, this is how we do it, and and he took that back to his curriculum committee and started off with um, fifteen students last year, and it's been going very well. I'm actually going down to University of Virginia next month uh, to teach one of his classes. And it, it did not take much of work. You don't need a space. You don't need much of a budget. You just need to get the like-minded cr- people in the room who want to uh, create and think about medical education differently. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, challenges or um, any resistance to changes in medical education that you're proposing um, that maybe people who are used to the traditional approach to medicine, um, I would assume there would be some resistance to um, something that's a little different? Uh, For for us here, it's not as much resistance. Uh, I think we're in a nice spot, but it's just more of people don't understand what we're doing. And they think, well, how does design, how does that apply to healthcare? Because uh, a lot of people think design is making things look better, um, and uh, but we it's important for me and other people uh, who are doing this to really um, explain concretely how design makes an impact on upon, upon patient outcomes and how it. And we like to reframe these challenges that we see in healthcare as they're really design problems, uh, ultimately. And a lot of every single service and device and product, uh, someone actually designed that. And we don't think of it that way, right? We just think of it as, oh, why, why does this, um, uh, you know, why is this problem so intractable in, in medicine? And and so if you reframe it as a design challenge, it, it inspires people to want to redesign that particular service device or space. Um, so a lot of what we try to do is take it from this loft design, from this lofty thing that designers do to kind of reframe it as, like, you know, we actually all design, whether we know it or not, um, and explain what we do, how it can have impact on making uh, people healthier. How about the process from design to implementation in the real world? Once you have a really great prototype, how, how does that end up getting being used by people? And is that something that you do focus on in the uh, as well? Sure. Uh, so uh, that is something that we are always looking at because we don't want um, – just this to be this when we're making these prototypes like how do we actually implement 
uh, those prototypes in, in, a, in a real world setting. So uh, it, it, it's great hanging out with a bunch of uh, doctors and healthcare providers because we're very practical because they're like, well, how is this going to really impact uh, my patients? So uh, one uh, program that we run is a rapid medical device program. And with that program, uh, the goal is to take an idea of a new type of medical device or product from uh, just this idea on a whiteboard and to a prototype that can be commercializable and uh, that we can file for patents. And so we partner with a company called 10X Beta. Uh, they're actually in Brooklyn, New York, uh, but they have a track record of commercializing uh, devices. And so, so that partnership helps us uh, to, uh, to really bring these prototypes to actual people and to market. Uh, because most medical, medical students aren't going to drop out of school and start their own comp- startup tech company. Um, but we still wanted to make this program uh, real uh, to our students with um, uh, making uh, medical devices. So we had two teams last year <coughs> who uh, thought of uh, one device to measure endotracheal tube cuff pressures. And they were inspired by going around the hospital, talking to respiratory technicians, uh, doing observations in our critical care units, um, and they came up with a prototype for a device that will um, take those cuff pressures continuously and transmit them wirelessly to the electronic medical record. And they actually um, filed for a patent successfully and actually formed a company. And so now they're at that stage of how do, how do we take this to commercialization. And another team uh, thought about uh, how patients in hospitals can't get a good night's sleep and how healing is so important. The, the ability to get a good night's sleep is so important to recovering from acute illnesses. And so they followed around uh, nurses and physicians on our inpatient floors and were observing how many time a patient gets uh, disrupted in his or her sleep. And so they developed a lighting type of device that will decrease um, uh, these light disruptions and uh, because we know these light disruptions decrease, uh, interrupts our melatonin levels and so they as well uh, formed a company and filed for a, a provisional patent on their devices and now they're at the stage of looking at, at how to commercialize these devices. So, uh, so we're doing things in a real way where we want that product to get to uh, end users, to get to our patients. It sounds like a lot of these projects are focused on high-tech sort of solutions. Are there low-tech ways to solve design problems that don't necessarily require Yes, yes. Actually, most of our stuff is is low-tech, yeah. So, uh, I mean, so when we think of prototyping tools, they're not all like desktop 3D printers or augmented uh, reality. Mm -hmm. We have boxes uh, over here of... um, you know, one box is called crafting materials. So we have pipe cleaners and Play-Doh in there, and we have uh, 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 glue guns. And so we, uh, so not all, and, but those just help us bringing this idea to a physical form. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one project that we're looking to do is uh, helping uh, Philadelphians design healthier lives. 
Um, so we want to go into communities in Philadelphia that don't have access to uh, these great medical and educational resources and and help them think about how they can be empowered to design a healthier life. For example, you know, if you are a single mom with four kids and you have diabetes and you work full time, uh, you know, how can we help her to manage her blood sugars with her with her busy life? <clears throat> and she does not have access to a lot of the resources that we may have access to. And so we um, are going to look into next year of how we can uh, design a uh, mobile design lab that goes into communities and teaches um, uh, Philadelphians to build their design muscles to uh, design healthier lives. Well, along that, along that line, um, I know the program is new, but it sounds like you do have specific goals and intentions um, for the short and long term. Can you talk more about your long-term vision for the program and just uh, some of the, the goals you hope to accomplish? Uh, so uh, you, some people may or may not know uh, Jefferson is emerging with Philadelphia University. So we are uh, going to – so uh, traditionally we're a health – Jefferson's a health sciences university. We don't have undergraduates. Uh, Philadelphia University is a great school with a robust um, undergraduate and graduate uh, student body, and they have a strong history of design and design thinking in their mm-hmm. curriculum. So it's a perfect marriage for us. So we want to um, develop programs and courses that medical students and industrial design students and uh, undergraduates or business students can all take uh, that uh, crosses this intersection of health and design. So we want to build out um, uh, both uh, courses on that and also programs that we can do to impact our city to make uh, the city of Philadelphia healthier. Uh, there was something I just uh, tweeted about today. I saw a Robert Wood Johnson study foundation, a uh, Robert Wood Johnson foundation study that only 20% of a person's health is actually impacted by access to care or the quality of health care. So most of, most of what makes us healthy is not what I do in the emergency room, mm-hmm. right? So that happens outside of the hospital. That happens in community. That, that, there's all these social determinants that, that if, affect and impact a person's health. And so, uh, so if doctors are the only one thinking about health, then that people, people in communities and cities are not going to get healthier. So how can we work uh, with a broad range of, of students, with a broad range of professionals, um, and, and think about how to make communities healthier? Because we, we know that only, I'm only going to impact 20% of that. There's that 80% that, that is out there that that you don't need to be a doctor to be able to uh, impact um, health. So there are specific qualities that you that you look for um, for medical students who would succeed in this program, the design track at Jefferson? Uh, I think uh, the most important quality is the ability and willingness to work in groups. And to, because a lot of us, uh, who finally make it to medical school, 
we've been in a library studying for our MCAT, trying to get a high GPA, and you actually don't ever need to work on a team or a group or to know how to do that. And so, you know, you could get a high GPA in biology and a high MCAT store, a score by just staying put in the library. And the, and the way the current medical admissions process works is those two numbers really uh, are the top influencers of, of how or, or if you're going to get into uh, medical school. So uh, this is a very different process for a lot of us because we, we're very interdisciplinary. We're very team-based. Um, and we also are part of, I think, our, 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 our secret sauce is the ability to communicate uh, both visually uh, through visual narratives and also oral presentations because we're always kind of pitching our different solutions. Um, and so, so if you, I guess, are a student that is just used to just working by yourself, then this is probably not the best type of program for you. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you assess that? Uh, there's a early admissions program that I heard about. Um, sure. There's a, uh, we have a linkage program or early acceptance program that we offer to uh, Princeton University students, and we accept them during their sophomore year. And we say, hey, don't worry about jumping through these loopholes of like taking your MCAT and taking biochemistry. Uh, focus on your undergraduate major, really develop uh, that area of expertise. And then when you uh, enter into Jefferson, you know, you have an opportunity to enter into this design program. So for us, it's, a, it's an opportunity to really work with future doctors even before they get into medical school and, and, and mentor them throughout this process. Um, so I, I guess the question of how we assess people in this program, it is, it's tough. I mean, we are oversubscribed and because the way that we run our programs are studio-based that we can't do it with like the entire 260 students in each class. So uh, a lot of it is just coming up with a the right mix of people in this room. We don't want all male bioengineers to be part of the program, right? We don't think that's going to lead to... Uh, uh, we, we think, I think innovation comes across when you get a diverse mix of people in, in the room. So we uh, having a diversity in our, our students and their backgrounds, I think, is very important. But honestly, most of the people who apply, are, would, I think, would be great applicants for, for the program. We just uh, So when you spoke about what is my long-term version, one is kind of scaling us, having more faculty that we can open this up to more students. And it sounds like there'll be more collaboration with the, the art or the industrial design department at Philadelphia University Correct. once that merger happens? Uh, yep, definitely when the merger happens, but already next semester we are incorporating um, Philadelphia University industrial design students and architecture students um, and pairing them with our medical students in, 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 in our programs. And so last even last fall's um, Design for Disability class, we had four uh, under four industrial design students uh, participate with us um, and to, to me that's just exciting because right uh, medical in, in medicine we I think uh, we're in the hospital so much we live in this bubble <laughs> and we and we go well you know we have a very narrow way of looking at problems and it's refreshing when we 
uh, work with an engineer or designer or architect and see how she approaches um, problems and problem solving. And it can be totally different from the way that we're used to it. How would you describe Design Thinking 101? Is there a... Yeah. That, that, that's a great question. A lot, a lot of people uh, ask that. So I, I like to frame it as it's, uh, it emphasizes a, a, a bias towards action. You know, that's what a lot of uh, folks at uh, Stanford D School and IDEO would say. It, uh, there's a lot of prototyping, and prototyping is just a fancy word of thinking with your hands. And uh, there is a focus on iteration. So a lot of times why in design thinking we prototype rapidly is because we want to get that idea to a um, physical form that people can see and then then we could iterate from that and and make that end product solution or space better. So in medicine, a lot of times uh, that there's a significant lag period to uh, turn that idea into a um, that initial um, prototype, and I think that really stifles innovation. I think we really need to focus on putting ideas, getting ideas uh, to solutions as rapidly as possible, but then taking the feedback uh, from our end users and from uh, other people and go, well, that um, device or that space actually does not work that well, and so and being open to change that. So a lot of times that uh, we are so focused and married to our initial idea and that we don't want to change that and we try to implement that solution into a um, in, into reality and a lot of times it doesn't doesn't work so um, I, I would say design thinking focuses on on those particular aspects of problem solving what are the common mistakes people make at the beginning as they're learning to think this way uh, there there is an exercise that that we do um, uh, that uh, well, there's a couple of things I, I see as as common mistakes is uh, being reluctant or hesitant to present out your initial ideas and and f- there's this kind of fear of of oh well my my idea is so dumb or I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to spend more time just thinking about myself and not putting it out there for others to see. Um, and because there's, there's this fear of criticism, and, and I think that is often institutionalized in, in medicine, uh, you know, rounding, you know, or just like you don't want to say anything that looks dumb uh, to your attending physician because, you know, we get pimped and we get... Uh, uh, there isn't that room to come up with kind of crazy ideas, right? Because we're a lot of times regurgitating information that our uh, senior faculty and physicians uh, tell us. So, so I think we really fear of making mistakes. And in our program, that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. There, there is a freedom here to do that, and we actually encourage that. Uh, and you know, a lot of people in medicine are type A, and they don't. We don't want to make mistakes, but it's okay to make make mistakes. And actually, making mistakes uh, is a pathway to innovation. I think if you look at all these great innovators, uh, a lot of them have made serious mistakes in their lifetime. And but uh, 
it's an opportunity for us to learn and to grow. So the most common mistake is being afraid of making mistakes. Yes. <laughs> that, that's a great way of, of summarizing that. Yeah, it also sounds like uh, one of the prices to creativity is that vulnerability and willingness to fail uh-huh. and just, you know, putting yourself out there on the limb, um, which, you know, sort of goes against everything I thought I knew about what it was to be a doctor. You're mm-hmm. supposed to have the answer. You're supposed to know. Sure. You sort of go into this gray area where you're not so sure and putting yourself out there seems very vulnerable. Sure. Yeah. And 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 just and just to kind of preface myself, you know, it's not like we're going to be in the operating room, like you know, just doing rapid prototyping. You know, when 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 someone's body cavity is open, you know, just we're not. Improv. Yeah. Yeah. We're not. You know, we're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, you know, but we there's a lot of opportunities to fail, to be creative, to go out on a limb with crazy ideas. Uh, that will not uh, negatively impact uh, patients and, and, and outcomes, right? So, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of what we do in healthcare is, uh, you know, we're a service in- industry. We're, we're providing a service to our patients, and the um, experience of patients in in hospitals and clinics a lot of times isn't that great, right? You know, and there is an opportunity there to come up with crazy ideas or, you know, just out-of-the-box ideas of how we can improve that experience for patients in healthcare settings without uh, negative impacts on, on harming patients. And bringing it back to medical education, kind of the pivot away from massive memorization to a more critical thinking-based mm-hmm. uh, sort of curriculum, how do you see that playing out? In general, um, not just in terms of design, yeah. but a, a bigger picture. I, I, I think the role of physicians is changing so rapidly, right? You know, there's there's people out there that say 80% of a doctor's function will not be done uh, in, in the future. That will be replaced by someone or something. And, and I think what are uh, the superpower of a doctor will be to uh, creatively think in, in the future, uh, that is of utmost importance, right? We uh, we need the ability to adapt to one and uh, rapidly changing healthcare system, right? So, just looking at my own specialty, for example, uh, we traditionally have worked in um, emergency departments, providing acute uh, acute care for people who have an acute presentation of illness, but. Now a lot of emergency departments are running fast tracks where we're dealing with minor complaints because we find we found that a lot of people are just coming to the ER for minor complaints because they don't have access to care. Um, uh, in our in our health system, our department is actually leading the telehealth initiative, and so trying to. Uh, communicate with patients even before they arrive in the emergency department to go, hey, maybe you don't need to come to the ER to be seen, but you know we, we can help you out um, uh, virtually. Uh, so I would have never thought that 10 years ago, that my specialty would be part of this. 10 years from now, who knows what's going to happen? So, uh, but, you know, as long as, uh, I, I think if physicians have this ability to adapt to creatively problem solve, that will go a long way because medicine is changing 
so rapidly. Um, and uh, I think the need, I think we should be teaching uh, medical students now the ability uh, to do that uh, instead of memorizing the Krebs cycle when you could pull up on your smartphone in about 30 seconds. Um, there's a study done out at Stanford on residents, and when they have a question, uh, they go first to um, the internet, whether it be on a smartphone or computer, uh, rather than their attending physicians. Mm -hmm. So not that I'm going to be left out of the picture, <laughs> but are my trainees, my students and residents can get a lot of information uh, very rapidly, a lot of good information quickly uh, through, uh, through technology. Uh, I remember when I was in training, if I had a question, I couldn't just Google it that easily because there weren't that many computers and uh, the, the access to information wasn't, wasn't that great. So I would actually go into uh, the, uh, the back part of the ER and flip open a book and look, uh, read on an emergency medicine book on like uh, how, how to treat a particular disease or how to do a particular procedure. And now you can get that by just uh, whipping out your smartphone from your pocket. So I, that, that, that's a game changer. I was wondering, um, so I know you've gotten a lot of support here at Jefferson, but, and maybe this is a difficult question to ask, um, to answer, but uh, overall, uh, amongst your peers, what is the response to what you see as something that is integral, the, the merger of uh, medicine and creativity and innovation? Um, what has the response been? It's been uh, overwhelmingly positive. People are, physicians are excited about this. Uh, uh, one of the biggest problems facing physicians today is burnout. Mm. That physician, it, 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 it's a challenging job. And uh, we, we need to inspire uh, um, us in, in medicine to, uh, to do what we've been called to do, to, to provide help to communities, to provide help to our patients and a lot of us are, are burning out quickly. And so I, I see this as inspiring a lot of us that, that we can think outside the box. We can think of different, um, solutions to, uh, to help our patients in, in what is often a broken system. Are there, is there a creative position that inspires you personally? Uh, just j j that, you know, that example of uh, Dr. Bernard Lown that I mentioned before, who is a, uh, who is a practicing cardiologist uh, in, in Boston. What inspired me is that he could, his legacy could have been, I'm a brilliant medical scientist. I created a DC cardioversion. I ran a lab and I provided care for patients, but he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1985 for um, an organization he started that uh, prevented nuclear disarmament. And so for Dr. Lown, his, he, he has such a, uh, a passion for social justice and, that, that, and, and such a passion to take care of patients uh, that he laments that uh, our physician leaders that we see in academics a lot are uh, these physician researchers who have a lot of NIH money. Those guys are great. A lot of them are, are good friends of mine, but, you know, physicians who take 
great care of the patients, who know their patients, uh, physicians who are passionate about social justice issues are often not elevated to a level of professor, professor in, in, in our, in our uh, universities. Um, and, you know, we tend to overvalue, I think, physician science, scientists, researchers who have a lot of NIH money. Um, so I don't want to say just to create controversy, but those are, they are great. A lot of them are my colleagues and friends, but I think equally we should elevate those physicians who just provide great care for their patients, who, who are innovative in their ways of providing social justice and especially to vulnerable populations uh, mm -hmm. in our country. I mean, e even in our city, the health disparities are huge. You know, right here where we're at in Center City, uh, life expectancy is 88 years, and we go north two miles to North Philadelphia, and that life expectancy drops to 68 years. Mm -hmm. Every physician should want, uh, should want to decrease that uh, gap. You know, we should... That, is, that should be embarrassing to every physician here in Philadelphia, that we have such huge disparities, and, and we should be actively doing something about it, whether you're a primary care physician to an orthopedic uh, a doctor. We, we, should, we, we need to decrease that gap. Yeah, something that caught my attention on the website was uh, the intention to make the program uh, I think it's a human-centered approach to mm -hmm. teaching medicine, and I, I sort of like it's not the point, human-centered, <laughs> but, but listening to you, I realize that that can easily get lost, you know, in going through your medical training and your education and in practicing the human component, the empathy, the compassion, mm -hmm. the social justice piece can get lost. Yeah, and, and I think because we, uh, a lot of times in medicine we use patient-centered, and but being a patient is only a fraction of what it is to be a human, yes. right? So... Uh, we think of patients as, you know, when humans enter into our healthcare system, when they enter into the hospitals or the clinics, but most of what impacts their health is not within the hospital setting, right? It's, it's what happens when they're a human outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I like the term human-centered design actually better than patient-centered design because um, it, it, it incorporates uh, that 90% of their lives, right? that happen outside of a, a healthcare setting. So uh, even when we prescribe treatments or medications, so if I uh, prescribe um, a patient uh, an expensive antibiotic from the emergency department and they don't take it, I call them non-compliant, right? And I blame, I blame that patient. I blame uh, the end user. But, you know, I should have thought about that this patient did not have insurance. And so I could have prescribed an equally effective antibiotic that they could have purchased for probably $5 instead of $200. Uh, and, and to me, I, I, I need to take into account that the, the human, their social uh, economic environment uh, in order to provide good care. It's been so great yeah. hearing more about this and kind of the, the future of where everything's going. Yeah, I feel like a revolution's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest, I feel like it's a precipice of something, the big change and transition, because everything that you've been saying, I'm like nodding my head. Same here. Well, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just 
part of me is just responding to what I see in our students, right? I think, uh, I think future young people are passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to provide a platform that enables them to take that passion, to take that creativity for uh, these issues like social justice mm -hmm. and implement that uh, even in, in a career, uh, whatever career that they're at. So, you know, in, and especially in, in medicine, I think doctors can have a huge impact. And um, so I'm just responding to what I see is is out there already in, in, in my students and my trainees and providing them a, a vehicle uh, for them to be able to do that and not stifle that passion, not stifle that uh, creativity uh, and passion for wanting to uh, uh, create change. And uh, I see that a lot in medical training. It, it's, it's a long haul. You know, it is over a decade of, of hard work. And most of the students I see when they enter into medical school uh, have are inspired uh, to uh, help uh, people, to help the humans, to help our uh, communities. And but there's this dehumanization that goes on with medical training, and uh, we ha we just do a terrible job of of I think historically of being able to um, foster that passion. And uh, and, I, and I think really the the best medical schools out there are going to be the ones that encourage uh, this uh so, so yeah so i i'm i'm just responding to what i see out there and trying not to stifle it and trying to accelerate that uh that passion i see in students great, great. Well, thank yeah. you so much for your yeah. time yeah thank you thank this you great. this thank is you. Just so much great fun yeah. Yeah. thank you so much yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Doctors Who Create. I know Yinka and I really enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Bonku about how creativity in medicine can manifest itself through design. Plus, we really enjoyed seeing where the magic all happens straight from the vault of Jeff Design. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website doctorswhocreate.com to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Tries Me Rescue.